The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the sixth chapter. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For it is on him that God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to perform the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, What sign are you going to give us then, so that we may see it and believe you? What work are you performing? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. The Gospel of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So last week I spent some time in New York at uh, Hartwick College teaching at the Hartwick Theological Institute. I was teaching three different courses, and it was nice to go back to Hartwick. I've been teaching there for a few years now, and it was good to see some friends and colleagues from New York and some friends that I've made over the years at Hartwick. And one of the questions that I was thinking throughout the week, and I found myself asking others, is about their connection to God, their connection to Jesus, and and how we encounter Jesus. I think... This was on my mind in part because as we work through the sixth chapter of the Gospel of John over the last part of the summer here, we will see how the crowds interact with Jesus, how they encounter Jesus, how they experience and and how they are drawn into his life and to his ministry. They want to be close to him. They want to follow him. They want to be one of his disciples. So I asked one person what her experience was with Jesus. What was her first memory of learning about who Jesus is? So she thought for a minute, and then she said her first memory was this. Singing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. Join me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Her first memory when she encountered Jesus was not some deep 
theological statement. It wasn't even really a biblical story. It wasn't a statement that she had to make in order to receive God's love. It was the fact of her knowing through this song that Jesus loved her. And the way that she knew that Jesus loved her was through the Bible. Jesus loves us, and that's what we need to know. We don't have to be perfect. We don't have to be the greatest at anything. We don't have to know all about the church or the Bible. We just need to be ourselves. God loves us for who we are right now. And we see this love through the eyes of the gospel writer of John, you know, as we go through the sixth chapter. You know, we start hearing about how Jesus fed the 5,000. And this was something that Jesus freely gave to the people that day. It was the start of their relationship. Now, I'm sure there were people among the 5,000 who had no idea who Jesus was. I'm sure there were people in the 5,000 who, who heard that Jesus was the Son of Man, but didn't believe that. And he showed them his love, and that wasn't dependent on anything that they did. They just received. And because that free gift was given to them, they were drawn into the life and ministry of Jesus. They wanted more from him. Sure, many of them, probably most of them, wanted another free meal. But soon, they were going to receive more than they could ever imagine. And so they, they started to find, follow, and then eventually become faithful to Jesus. And they find him and they say to him, we want more, Jesus. We want more from you. And he says, well, you're only here because you want another free meal, right? Do not work for the food that spoils. Instead, for the food that lasts eternally. Okay, the crowd says. We'll go with you on this one. Well, what kind of work do you want us to do to receive this food? And Jesus says, just believe. Just believe that I am the one that God has sent to you. I am doing for you now, and I want you to believe in me. I want you to believe in, in the things that God has done for you in the past, the things that God does for you in the present, and the things that God will do for you in future generations. At, the, at this point, the crowd box, and they start to say, who does this guy think he thinks he is? And they were skeptical. I mean, wouldn't you be? It's like you received this news that you won $100,000. Now, pretend for a minute. You, re you receive this phone call and says, congratulations, you have won $100,000. So you're great. Great. First, I'm going to tie 10% of that to the church, and then we'll see what we'll do with the rest. And, and after that, the next day, you receive a same phone call, and they say, oh, no, no, sorry, we made a mistake. You're not receiving the $100,000. You're like, yeah, I, I probably, you know, it's too good to be true. They say, we forgot to add an extra zero, so you're going to receive a million dollars. Now, this, this is the exciting news that you may feel, and this is what the life of faith is all about. It's that need or that desire to receive the good news. And this good news is so good that it gets better and better as life go on, goes on. From the first moment you hear, listen, and learn th that Jesus loves you, 
And then you hear about the stories of faith, the wonderful story of creation, the story of God saving God's people and led them from slavery into freedom. The, the stories of the life, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and then the story about how the church works in our life today. We have this connection, this encounter with Jesus, this encounter with God that we, and we experience that in this place. We hear these stories of faith. We support one another in our life of faith. And we receive the physical signs of God's love and grace in the sacraments. When God comes into our life, it's wonderful, but it also can be disruptive. Now, I don't want this to sound completely negative because it's not, but when God captures our life, the true essence of our life, it may surprise or even shock us. Our life is never going to be the same again. We are going to be called to do things that may be a little uncomfortable for us, may upset us even at the beginning. But we will experience things that will bring our life, our love of God and one another to a new level. Another conversation that I had this past week with the encounters of, of God and Jesus in our life was, was with a pastor friend of mine. He said that he grew up really only doing the church thing when he had to. Christmas, Easter. His parents brought him to church for a while and they really were faithful to the church during, during the time he received his first communion. And then when he had to go to confirmation and, and his family was kind of active in the church, but as soon as he was confirmed, he said, they started to not go to the church again. They were too busy or maybe uninterested in what was going on. After confirmation, he didn't really think twice about going to uh, youth group activities. And once he was in college, it was a real rare thing for him to go to church. But after college, he was struggling with the, the direction of his life. He, he got this basic business degree, and he was working for uh, this company, and he wasn't really excited or happy with his work, and he was struggling. So he called a friend of his, and they went out for lunch one day. He started to talk about all the decisions that he made in his life and the confusion he had about the direction that he was going. And his friends heard the struggle in his voice and, and heard the sadness and the depression that he was feeling. So his friend invited him to church. Why don't you come to church with me, he said. And he was a little skeptical. Well, what is the church going to do that is going to change my life? But, but he was desperate, so he, he agreed. And he wasn't against going to church. He just didn't think there was any value to it. He said from the moment that he walked into the doors of the church that day, his experiences in listening to scripture, listening to the sermon, singing the hymns with the community, fellowshipping with people after church, it changed his life. Not only did he feel the relief from his problems, the things that he was experiencing in his life, but he eventually found his calling and says, he said, I want to help other people experience the same things that I'm experiencing in the church. And that's what it's all about, isn't it? 
experiencing God and Jesus in our life in new ways. You know, I stand up here and I tell you the promises of God. I tell you that God is with you, that God will help you find your way, that you will find wholeness in your life. And this is hard for many of us to hear because we've gotten pretty good at defending ourselves against the pain and frustration and hurt and despair and the life in this world. And then these promises are announced to us and they sound too good to be true. I mean, if we think about it, when we come to the waters of baptism, we pour water over someone's head and we announce to her that God's promise is going to be with her forever. God's promise is going to go with her wherever she may go. It will hold on to her through the good and the bad, all that life has to offer, even through death and into eternal life. That is some promise. And the same thing happens when we come to the table, come to the altar, and receive the bread and wine, the body and blood of Christ. Because every time we come to the table, we are promised forgiveness, acceptance, wholeness in this world, both now and forever. It is in communion and baptism where we hear God's word of love and forgiveness given in an only in the way that we can receive them. There's nothing that we could ever do to earn this from God. But the other thing is, week after week after week, we have an opportunity to fully embrace these gifts by participating in the life of the community and this world. And that's what Jesus is inviting the crowd to do when he says, believe in me. And the response is, well, Jesus, what miracle are you going to perform for us to believe in you? We want you to prove yourself to us, Jesus. Prove that you love us. Prove that you are going to be there for us. Prove that you will never leave us. Prove that if we believe in you, that it's not going to hurt us later on in this world. Our faith would be so much easier if God would do what we want God to do, to cast aside the people that we don't think deserve God's love and grace, to give us the miracles in our life when we need to see them. But God doesn't do that because God is full of surprises. God does the unexpected. Instead of uh, giving judgment upon the face of our sin and selfish, selfishness, God offers us mercy. Instead of condemning us, God gives us forgiveness. Instead of coming into power and overtaking this world, God comes in weakness. Instead of giving us miracle after miracle, God gives us God's own self in love and grace. You know, Martin Luther once said that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is summed up in two words. And we hear these two words week after week when we come to the altar. For you. This is Christ's body given for you. This is Christ's blood shed for you. 
So when we come to the table, we can lay all of our hurts and pains, anger and frustration at the foot of the cross. We can drown our sorrows in the waters of baptism. And out of both of those experiences, we can receive new life. We can receive the gift of grace that's always there for us, whether we want it or not. And when God calls us to believe, it is for our sake, not God's sake, because God promises us hope and salvation and grace and love. He promises that those things are always going to be there for us. But when we come to the table, we give ourselves over to God. We say, yes, God, I believe. And when we hear the words for you, we think about the amazing gift that God has given us. A personal reminder that God is with you every day of your life. And that gift is full of promises of hope and salvation. And it's given to us each and every week when we come here. And then after we receive it, we can go out into the world and share that love with all that we meet. Amen.